Roots and Shoots with Jamie and Sabrina. On ABC Radio Perth and WA. Good morning. No, Sabrina, she's in Italy. She's she's far, far away, eating stuff, drinking stuff and having a look at a few gardens. But we do have Steve Wood here today. G'day, Steve. Hey, Jamie. Lovely to be here, mate. Yeah, yeah. Great to to see you. Thank you. Yeah, now a little jealous of Sabrina over in Italy. Little? I'm very jealous. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. But, uh, yeah, isn't it gorgeous that she can do that? You know, those – and she has an incredible – the tours sell out so quickly, and yeah. she does um, such a wonderful job. Doesn't she? Doesn't yeah. she? No, good, good life. It'd be a lot of fun, it. huh? It'd be pretty wild with her. I wonder. I yeah, you'd be struggling to kind of get it together the next day, I reckon. Turn <laughs> <laughs> a night out with Sabrina, just she, the and, streets of Rome or wherever. Oh, and her knowledge on the gardens and plants is just phenomenal too. So, does a lot of that translate back to here though? When you go and see these amazing gardens overseas, is there is there stuff you can kind of bring back and adapt to an Australian environment? I reckon it's probably around about sort of 70 to 80% that's relevant. So okay. there's going to be that 20% that just doesn't quite cut it, you know. The, cool, the summers are so much cooler there. But, you know, then there's pockets there, you know, in Victoria because a lot of the people that go there on tours are from eastern states as well. But um, pockets of Victoria, Tasmania, they can replicate those very similar conditions to uh, over there as well. But, yeah, no, about 80% of the plants there will thrive and, and do well here. So they're very inspiring tools. Yeah, I oh, bet yeah. they are. There you go. Uh, one three hundred triple two seven twenty. the number to call. If you've got a question on Roots and Shoots for Steve today, uh, you can send a text as well, 0437 Nine double two seven twenty. You've been busy, Steve. You've been kind of down south and about the place, working hard yourself. Yeah, yeah. We're having fun down there. We've um, recently made a shift down to down to Augusta. Yeah. And um, but loving it down there, renovating a little cottage, and um, we're just uh, you know feel very privileged and and really enjoying it. And You're so handsy, <laughs> just renovating a little cottage, doing a little bit of work around. You know, it's great, Jamie. We feel. It's uh, it's a really sort of special special time in our lives. Yeah, it's, it's great. fantastic, mate. Mm. I look forward to seeing how it ends up. Hey, you've brought some stuff in with you today, and to me, it looks like I'm probably wrong, but it looks like a potato, but it's purple on the inside. What is it? Look, we could probably safely say it's not the most attractive potato you've <laughs> seen. Would, would that be a fair bet? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's almost the shape of a large dog poo, isn't it? <laughs> It's got the bumps of it as well. Well, I'm really glad that you said that, Jamie, but I'd say that you're pretty much spot on there. Right, right. And um, But look, these little guys are absolutely incredible. These are called the conga potatoes. Okay. They're an um, heirloom variety that date back hundreds of years that we've been growing these for. And the wonderful thing about them is that they're super, super easy to grow. They're only a very short-growing potato, but they've got this intense purple colouring inside. So this is the anthocyanins, which are you know, very high in phytonutrients and antioxidants. And um, studies of people have shown that they um, have a significant impact on reducing blood pressure. So uh, as well as stopping blood clots and all, the health benefits are, are quite extraordinary. So they're a fingerling type potato. They're only a small one but they make beautiful chips. If you slice them up, a drizzle of olive oil, a bit of rosemary, stick them in the oven, they do really well. But any, you know, cooked any way. But they're, I, I think they're better for you than the standard potato right, because okay. of all this sort of um, anthocyanins, all these uh, beautiful food colourings. And 
or natural occurring colour that's in them. And then they've, uh, you know, proved to be right up there with broccoli as far as health benefits. So if you see them in the shops, yes, they look a bit weird and a lot of people (laughs) tend to walk past them. You tend to um, purchase them uh, straight from the ground. So they, you know, they've still got dirt on them and they need brushing up. Which I kind of like though. Let's be honest. It's nice when you you go get some fruit and veg and you can still see the dirt there and you wash it off. You can see they've been grown in really beautiful, rich soil because it's sort of clay soil that they're grown in. But um, pick some up and throw some in your own garden because this is a great time to plant them. Do they grow that easily? Yes, as simple as that. Throw them in the ground, a little bit of compost, you know, a little bit of blood and bone nutrition yep. in there, and um, and you'll get your own crop. They'll be ready to harvest in about October. Happy days. Yeah, it's okay. good fun. I, I mentioned, like, we made a bit of a joke about what they look on the outside, but I suppose once you cut into them, you see that really vibrant purple flavour. You can yeah. do some really tremendous things. It'd, it'd make things look pretty impressive it on re- the plate. It really does because a lot of foods that have got these deep purple colourings tend to cook the colouring out. Okay. When, but these actually hold the colour when they're cooked, so they look great in, you know, potato salads and things like that as well. I do remember in in another life, and it would have been easily ten to twelve years ago when I was a rural reporter with the ABC down in the southwest, and I remember doing a story back then on a bloke that had just started to to grow these, or maybe it was another variety of purple potato. But is this something that we've been doing in in WA for a, a little while, and we're starting to see more people take them on? I think people are really, you know, we see we've seen um, things like uh, blueberries, you know, and the the same type of um, anthocyanins in the blueberries, that same purple colouring and the nutritional benefits of these sort of things. So that's brought the popularity through. But also in Australia, we've been doing a lot of breeding. We're crossing these old world purple varieties with traditional potatoes and getting that purple colouring into purple potatoes as well. So that's very much a an Australian breeding program. So, yeah, we're pretty good at that, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, yeah, okay. so that's what's happening. Yeah. Hey, let's get to some calls. one three hundred triple two seven twenty 720 on Roots and Shoots if you've got a question for Steve Wood. Get in nice and early this morning. John's done that. He's in Mandra. G'day, John. G'day, how you going? Good. This, uh, I've got a lemon tree. It's about four years old and full of lemons. We went away on the weekend, come back, and it's the uh, first time I've noticed that all the leaves are dying. What causes that? John, normally that's um, like stress around the root system that's that's caused that. And traditionally it'll be, you know, one of two things where the soil is actually drying out and even though, you know, you, you might be watering or you might get a certain amount of rain, if you dig down, somehow that water is just, you know, the soil isn't actually soaking that water up, especially around the root zone. So normally it's drying. The only other thing that will really cause it is a fertiliser burn. So if it's recently had something like a general MPK fertiliser added and it's been a bit too much, that can cause leaf drop as well. But normally it's it's one of the two. Rightio. Thanks very much. All right. Good luck, John. Good luck, good. John. Uh, let's go to Carol in Subiaco. Morning, Carol. Hello, Steve. Hi, uh, Carol. My problem is similar to your previous caller. Yes, Yes, it's been in the ground for 10 years, and it was um, in full fruit um, until about two months ago, six to eight weeks ago, and then the leaves just curled up, and I was giving it water and water and water, and it just kept on dying, and I just wondered uh, whether I should plant another Tahitian lime there 
or some other type of thing or not plant anything there at all, just put it in pots. Yeah. I don't know what caused it, you see. Carol, normally with, with things like the lemons, and in your particular case, the Tahitian lime, they're, they're grafted onto really vigorous rootstock. Yes. And so they don't tend to suffer from, like, diseases in the soil. Um, and, you know, so theoretically that shouldn't be the problem. You mentioned there that the leaves were curling. and yes. And that, that, that can be um, that citrus leaf miner that gets in and causes the leaves to curl up and... If that's in very large numbers, it, you know, it can really sort of make the tree struggle. There's no doubt about, about that. But it's oh, yeah. normally it tends to be more aesthetically bad than than really damaging the tree. Mm-hmm. So the fact that the leaves have fallen off, I mean, what I'd be inclined to do if it was mine, I'd, I'd be getting a bag or two of compost, quality compost. Yeah. Putting it round and putting the compost over as a mulch. Not that it's going to perform as a mulch, but put a, a full cover around right out to the drip zone of the of the tree and probably a good, you know, three to four centimetres deep. Mm. And that allows the feeder roots to come up into that. It will draw nutrition from it. It will uh, hold moisture. And then on top of that, a little bit of slow-release fertiliser, so, but in a natural form, so pelletised chicken manure, that type of thing. And just see how that goes over winter because they won't do, put a lot of growth over winter. It'll sort of survive, but it'll really condition the soil and get it nice and healthy and it should bounce come the beginning of spring and, and yeah. take off. Well, the the tree is dead. Oh, okay. It is dead. And I'm just wondering, you know, what to do about the soil, whether I can replant another tree or yeah. would I have to put it in a 100 litre into pot? a pot. Carol, I wouldn't be frightened to put it back in there. I don't think it'll be a problem that's occurring in the soil, but by all means, a 100 litre pot, they'll perform in that as well. That's the magic yeah. number for citrus, for sure, that size. Right. Okay, Carol, good. Sorry, I Carol. took a pH test and it was uh, okay. Yes, yeah, the fact that it had been growing there before, mm, I don't know, Carol, I, I just don't think it's at the actual soil itself. All right, Carol, might uh, have to look at a few other things there. Is that when you have a plant that dies in one spot, Yeah, you probably don't have this happen too often because you're so good, Steve, but uh, do, you, do you generally like to give that area a break or look to give the soil there a bit of a, a boost before you put something else in? Yeah, it can depend, Jamie. And look, it does, it happens to all of us for sure. But, you know, if it's something like um, tomatoes and you're talking about nematode damage and that sort of thing, sure, you know, it's a really good idea to relocate. The normally, if the something for me, if a citrus dies there, I'd pull that out and I'd just recondition the soil that's there. I wouldn't be sort of worried that there's something in the soil that's caused that problem because it's not normally the case. But I would certainly go to the extent of adding, you know, perhaps a 30% compost to the existing soil that's there, maybe a little bit of clay to help hold the nutrition and hold the moisture. Just really bring it up to scratch. And um, and then replant into it. Okay, yeah. just a little bit of love. Yeah. Uh, a few texts, Steve. Uh, uh, this from Pauline, who's in Wembley. Uh, she has a rosemary plant, two to three feet tall, uh, planted in the garden this year. There's 12 branches, but 11 are brown and only one is green. That's not a great ratio. Can we help it? What can I do? The best thing is to cut the brown branches off, for sure. The rosemaries do tend to suffer a little bit from root rot. 
So it depends on the soil that they're planted in, if they're getting good drainage, that type of thing. One of the best products to treat root rot is phosphoric acid. So um, it's uh, available in all the garden centres and hardware stores, that sort of stuff. It's a very safe product to use. So you mix it with water and you drench it in a watering can and drench around the root system. That's the first thing I'd be doing if I was trying to save rosemary. And quite often people will plant a rosemary as a hedge. Yeah. And then you'll get one or two go off like this in amongst the hedge and it just destroys the whole, you know, the major, amazing amount of effort and energy that's gone into it. So the cure for that, the best chance you've got is the use of phosphorus acid or phosphoric acid. So they can be tough growers, can they? They normally are, you yeah. know, but then all of a sudden... Uh, they'll get a bit of root rot and then they'll, and they'll go off. But, you know, this is a great way to correct it. Okay. Uh, another text here from, uh, it's come from Mandra, no name, small courtyard, roses in pots, very few birds visit the area of the garden. This year most of the rosebuds have been eaten before they can flower. I have noted a lot of grasshoppers this year. Do you think they could be the culprit? And if so, how do I get rid of them? Yeah, normally it's parrots that are doing that. They like the roses. They do. And for just some unknown reason, they'll just sit there and pick the flower, you know, just nip the flowers off. They'll do the same on uh, a lot of native plants as well, things right. like the um, calistamins, bottle brushes. So infuriating, you know. And most often you won't see them. They'll sort of fly in, do the job, nick off, and then you're wondering who we, you know, you're normally blaming the kids next door for, you know. <laughs> I think I've done that, actually. <laughs> I had some roses that weren't going well and I thought it was them. <laughs> it was the parrots. And, uh, but it's uh, nearly always parrots. So, you know, quite honestly, very difficult to, you know, to control. Uh, yep. Yeah. And uh, because, you know, unless you've got them netted off or fenced off, it's just not going to happen. So a bit of a seasonal thing, let it go. Hopefully they'll come into nice flower in spring and the parrots are somewhere else in spring when yeah. they come back in a flower. Hopefully your neighbours have got some roses yeah. in and they're more attracted to those. 19 minutes past nine. Uh, one three hundred triple two seven twenty. if you've got a question on roots and shoots for Steve Wood today. Uh, Mike does. He's in Warpole. G'day, Mike. Yes, good morning. I've uh, got a passion vine. It's been in two years now. Grew fantastic. It bared fruit within 12 months. Now... I've lost a lot of the leaves in the centre. The outer wings are growing very well. Um, the leaves brown off and drop. And mm. um, yeah, I don't know what can I do with it. Yeah, once in the soil that you're in down there in Walpole, I can imagine it'd be pretty good, Mike. Um, very uh, sandy. It's a pretty lean soil. Okay, I've you've... built it up with a lot of uh, uh, fish awful on that underneath when I planted the uh, vine. Okay. But yes, I, I don't know. It's um, it's like a foam, I don't know. They all go brown. Even the tendrils now are starting to go brown. So, yeah, so you're fairly close to the coast there in that sort of sandy, sandy yeah. soil. You, the way that you're describing that and they're going brown, it's almost like their roots are getting into something that's um, too strong for the plant and it's... You, it's a little bit like we were talking about the citrus and the lemon tree with our first caller. If they get excess nutrients, um, it causes burning and uh, and that'll cause the tendrils, the leaves, the stems to go brown. I'm just wondering if they, you know, that sort of enriching of the soil that you did there with the fish offal and that type of thing, if it might be in pockets and as the roots reach into that pocket, it's a, it might be sort of a bit excessive for them. Would that be okay, possible yeah. or...? 
doing it with kindness. I know, a little bit like that. That's true. But my, what I would recommend, obviously there's still a fair part of the tree that, or plant that's alive. So The outer wings are growing vigorously. Yes, good. But, yeah. All right. Well, look, I'd go through and, and give it a good prune. So even though it's not really the right time to prune uh, passion fruit at the moment, that's ideally done sort of in September. But I'd just go through and give it a prune of about 30% off the extended foliage and try and encourage a bit of new growth in the centre. In the middle. Yeah. Would you put anything in the soil to help it? I'd probably just leave it at this stage. As long If it it sounds like the ends are still growing green and lush and moving, then, uh, then there's plenty there already. Okay, all right. Thank you for that. Cheers, yeah. Mike. Cheers, Mike. Good, good luck. It's been pretty tough for passion fruit, hasn't it, at the moment for some reason? Yeah, it's a bit, little bit sort of all over the place. Yeah. But um, yeah, I don't, we've uh, one of the my, my absolute favourite is one called Sunshine Special. Tell me about the Sunshine oh, Special. Oh man, the fruit <laughs> on it is so big. Yeah. And uh, it's so easy to grow. It can be grown by cutting. You know, so if you see someone with a Sunshine Special, you can take a tip cutting. Just especially, over the fence, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> especially early spring, and just pop it in the ground. But these, the, the fruits, nearly double the size of a normal passion fruit. Right. And uh, when you cut them open, they're full of fruit. You know, they're full of that. You know, beautiful centre, and uh, the flavour's delicious and really easy to grow. And yeah, so that's that's my new. You know. Favourite passion fruit. It's a winner, a sunshine <laughs> special. It's a good name as well. It is. Uh, let's go to Rhonda, who's in Mount Lawley. Hey, Rhonda. G'day, Jamie. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. That's good. Um, I've got a question for Steve about my mulberry tree, how to prune it. It's supposed to be a weeping, although it's not the same type of beautiful weeping one I had in Adelaide a couple of decades ago. But I want to restrict its growth and spread. I've got a smallish backyard just on Guildford Road, Mount Lawley. Okay, Ronnie, yeah. It's um, because what they tend to do is sort of grow the normal mulberry up on its stem and then graft the weeping variety yeah. to the top. So that that's right. that's definitely what this is, do you reckon? Well, I'm not sure. The one I bought in Adelaide years ago, you could see the wire was like bonsai training wire to bend it over and it yes. was a lovely little, like a little mulberry bush, yes. you know, and it was very slow growing. Um, this one I bought at a market at York, mm-hmm. and um, it's I yeah, it's quite big. It's been in the ground about ten, twelve years, and it's it's spread across my backyard, which is quite small. That's about two normal house size, house rooms wide, and it's about ooh, twenty foot tall. Ten yeah, oh, about twenty foot big. tall. Yeah, it's big already. Okay, yeah. well, Rhonda, what I, I'd be inclined to come in and prune it really hard. Mulberries are one of the first of the fruit trees to start losing their foliage, so it's is it showing signs of that at the moment? Yes, its, it's leaves are just turning yellow. Yep, yeah, and there are a few dropping. Yeah, so that's really you know it's quite fine to go in and prune it now. Now, yeah, yeah, and really just prune it hard as you want. Bring it right back to a manageable shape. Oh, great. And yep. you can't you can't hurt them. As long as you're leaving, oh, you know, 30 centimetre stems. Um, 30 centimetre, yeah. Yeah, they're going to reshoot from that, no problem. So, oh, you, yeah, just bring it back as, as, as to the structure and shape that you want. Yeah, it's been a great tree. It's given me good shield of privacy from my backyard neighbours and wonderful shade for me and my dogs and beautiful fruit. Like as as long as my thumb, the fruit are just 
It's huge, beautiful fruit. So. I'm, I'm with you, Rondo. I think they're a, a <laughs> wonderful, wonderful plant. And the foliage that drops on the ground makes beautiful compost as well. So. Oh, yes. Yeah. I just, I just, I've got a wild back garden. I don't do much gray, much raking or anything. It just, it just mulches in as natural as it can be. Yeah. It sounds gorgeous. <laughs> sounds like my kind of uh, backyard garden, Rhonda. Thank you, Rhonda and Mount Lawley there with her mulberry. Um, hey, earlier we were talking about uh, someone had an issue with their rosebuds and thought it might be grasshoppers. Catherine might have a similar issue. Hey, Catherine. Oh, hello, Jamie. Hello, Steve. Hi, Catherine. Um, yes, I've just moved from Greenwood a couple of months ago and I had lots of roses there and I bought my roses in the pot plants here and both suburbs have many large grasshoppers and every now well regularly I see the new baby ones just nibbling away at my rosebuds so they're a culprit also if that's ah, any help. You've seen really I've I literally watched them and then I said I'll just get my what shoes or thongs or whatever and whack them. And, and it does, they just eat the tiniest little bit. Yeah, so, and Catherine, that they'll just sort of make little holes in them rather than cut the bud off completely? Yeah, they make holes in them. Yeah, yeah. absolute nuisance. Yeah, I'm looking at one now that's got a hole right through <laughs> and there's about two petals in the middle, which is quite heartbreaking. It is. I didn't mean to laugh, Catherine. It just, no, no. Just, yeah, yeah, it's there you go. really. It's all... <laughs> They're a nuisance. Find the closest thing and whack them away. Um, Catherine, how have you found the new garden moving from Greenwood oh, well, to, to Bedford? Well, I, I had a sad reason to do so. But anyway, um, it's, it's very manageable. Now I'm getting older and my pot plants are thriving. My roses are nearly sky high again. So oh, it's gorgeous. Thrilled to bits. Good stuff. <laughs> Enjoy it. Uh, Catherine Thanks, there Catherine. In, uh, in Bedford, some naughty, gra- naughty grasshoppers. Um, just a couple of texts here, Steve. This one from Kate, who is also in Bedford. Might be a new neighbour of Catherine. Uh, she has two cottonwoods with this leaf curling problem, and she says she's seen it uh, on a tree in Greenhead, also known of someone in Mandra, where it's doing the same thing. And you can see on the photo there that wow. the leaves are almost curling up on the inside um, and quite quite severely. Yeah. I've never actually seen that before. Wow. And um, But it's uh, completely disformed that, which is quite scary really because these have become incredibly popular. So there's a lot of cottonwoods around. For it to do like that, it's 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 one of a couple of things. It could be um, like a powdery mildew, which is uh, out and about. This is the time of year where we get a lot of problems with powdery mildew and that will definitely cause um, leaf curl on a number of varieties. I've never seen it do it on cottonwood before. Mm-hmm. And the only other thing is a trace element deficiency that could do that. And that's sort of what I would su- suspect in this uh, case. So um, that'd be the first try that I'd do would just be get a packet of trace elements diluted in water once again into watering can drench around the root system it'll take sort of two to three months before you'd see that rectify but that's a uh, that's a, that's a really quite a surprise I've never seen and it's you know it's deformed right across the whole tree so it's pretty dramatic isn't it mm, it's it really almost is. so curled that it's turned into a little ball yeah yeah, yeah. I know you you know like you wouldn't retain a, a shrub if you couldn't cure that you'd have to pull it out because okay. it's just too unsightly um, Jan asking uh, as well how do I treat my blueberry bush this time of year and how do I eliminate thousands of tiny white insects in my compost bin Mm, okay, well, the insects in the compost bin, probably just a, a light spray of pyrethrum is the easiest, safest and 
most sort of convenient way to do that. Um, with the blueberries, there's a f- couple of different types of them that are out there. Um, some tend to drop more foliage than others during winter. So there's there's about three or four different sort of major varieties. But at this time of year, I tend to just let them be. Okay. So not so much. You can If you want to lightly prune them, then that's absolutely fine. But we're only talking about 10, 20% prune. But um, otherwise, just let them be if they've defoliated already. Let them just sail through dormant through winter and look forward to them coming back into foliage and fruit in spring. Beautiful. Hey, just a, a question from Irene. What was the name of the purple potato again? Congo. So you, it's spelt uh, K-O-N-G-O or C-O-N-G-O. It depends on... I've seen them spelt... <laughs> I've seen it spelt both ways in a couple of different shops. Um, but, yeah, they're a fantastic little... And I've seen them in a number of vegetable shops now. So whoever's growing them in uh, locally, um, they're, they're getting out there, you know, yeah, which is great. Out. I'd say there's a few growers of them because, with the amount that seems to be on the market. So they do look a bit... Awkward and unattractive, but uh, don't hesitate to give them a crack. They're pretty good once you split them open. They're awesome. The flavour's amazing. Who doesn't want some purple chips or some purple mash? one 720 the number to call if you have a question uh, for Steve Wood today. Uh, Sharon's done that. She's in Waruna. Hey, Sharon. Hello. (laughs) Hi, Sharon. Yeah, I've got a sort of in-depth question, question, but... um, I've been, so my property's been accidentally affected by Roundup and then spray seed. Um, I want to know as to what depth would the toxicity go and how long before I can plant edible flowers and vegetables back in those areas? Mm. Um, how much spray, spray seed do you reckon was used? Oh, I, I think quite a bit because it was, it was actually by drift it got t- picked up by the wind. Yeah, but then there was also um, a direct spraying on on some areas on the like on the exterior or you know on the out, outskirts of the yard sort of thing. Mm. Um, so yeah, quite heavily. Um, the areas that were affected are still quite dead, and it's you can see all over the yard. It's like an acre block. Um, you see the areas that have been like really really affected. And I did have potatoes in that I didn't put in. Uh, until later, and these were very slow growing and very tenderly sort of thing, and then they just bang died. Yeah, and there's bugger all spuds in the ground. <laughs> well, look, the the thing is, Sharon, that's that both those insect um, herbicides are, are more knockdown type herbicides, mm-hmm. so they're not long term soil residue herbicides. That sort of uh, yeah, which is really good. So it's not like they they sort of stop seeds from germinating and cause long-term damage. They cause some weird deformities in um, in things like sunflowers and that. They had um, flower and my roses. Well, the roses actually died, but before they died, they actually had flowers coming directly off the stems, and that was the same with the sunflowers as well. Yeah, and you'll find that even with the glyphosate, that if, um, if it gets onto roses, it will cause a really quite deformity in the um, in the in the foliage it comes out for the next six months or so yeah so but as far as the soil itself goes Sharon I think it'll be absolutely fine just a matter of digging over leaving it leaving it for you know probably two or three months and then um, away you go again okay so is there anything <coughs> excuse me is there anything I, um, like like sheet manure anything like that I can put in there to really help break it 
Yeah, look, any of that's a great way to go because what you're doing is encouraging a lot of microbial activity that will come along with that manure. And the microbes themselves do a great job on sort of breaking the soil down and, and, um, and, yeah, that's that's a good idea, good way to go. All right, then, sweet. Thank you very Good much. Luck. And it was a Congo potato, wasn't it? Congos, yeah. Keep <laughs> there, an eye out for it. There's actually a purple skin potato, a pale purple skin potato. I'm not sure what it's called, but they are also another one that makes a really beautiful chip. They've got a really creamy coloured centre. Yes. And they make a creamy, creamy potato chip. Is that the royal blue, What do you think? Mm, I, maybe. I think it might start with the N for money. Okay, okay. Yeah. But, um, so many purple potatoes. We'll keep, a, we keep an eye out for them. Thanks, Sharon. Cheers, Sharon. Uh, very shortly, we're going to talk uh, tulips and bulbs, but we'll just go to Wendy quickly before that. Wendy's in Muck and Boudin. Hello, Wendy. Hello, Steve. How are you going? Hi, Wendy. Great, thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, good, thank you. Steve, I um, just pulled up my pumpkin vines and tomato bushes a week or so ago and I noticed that the roots were covered in lumps. So I'm presuming that's nematodes. I'd say there's a really good chance of that, Wendy. Uh, how do I get rid of them, please? Now, the, you know, tr- traditionally there were all sorts of um, um, insecticides that were used for n- mm. nematodes. What we realise now is that soil, the soil's made up, of, you know, a good healthy soil will probably have up to 25 different species of nematode in there. And there's only one or two that are bad. The others are really, really good. So the best way uh, to get rid of the bad varieties is to enrich the soil. So um, animal manure, compost is a great way to go. And that really encourages all the good nematodes and they'll take out the bad ones. Okay, well... This. Well, yeah, we we do look after our soil pretty well and we sort of do build it up with lots of different things. But um, a green manure crop, does that help? Some people say that helps. Some people say growing marigolds in the garden helps. I'm a bit confused about it all and I just wondered what I should do for next time. I, I just don't want to have this problem with any more veggies that I put in, you know? Sure. Well, look, the, the not so much the marigolds, even though, you know, it's you know, long been discussed that, but it's sort of never really been proven to be a real winner. But certainly putting in a green crop is a fantastic way to sort of build up those healthy microbes in the soil and and sort of feed the good nematode. So it's a little bit like composting. So I'd certainly recommend a green crop. All right. Okay, then. Um, now, Steve, um, the green manure crops, you get to let them get so high and you dig them in while they're still green, don't you? That's, that's exactly right, Wendy, and that's where the really good part comes in when they're dug in and they start breaking down naturally into the soil. Okay, good luck, Wendy. Thank you. 25 minutes to 10. We're going to get to Jen, Jane and Daryl very shortly. Uh, but before that, uh, Steve, got a guest in today, Lynn Chambers, talking tulips and bulbs. Good morning to you, Lynn. Good morning. It's lovely oh, to be here. Hi, Lynn. Hi, Steve. Um, Lynn's, uh, what Lynn does is um, provide one of the most incredible services to the state because well, you know, it's a, it's a little bit of a lost art um, from the past, our beautiful, beautiful bulbs, all those gorgeous old-fashioned bulbs, and you just keep it alive, Lynn, and make it possible for, for you know, enthusiastic gardeners to find those little lost treasures out there. Oh, yes. There's so many options, and, and the colour ranges are amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
a lot of people remember bulbs from their grandparents' gardens and, and they're becoming more popular because they're, they're not hard work. They're really easy. It's, you're and right. You, it's an easy form of, of very, you know, very attractive gardening. Um, but it's just not a lot of problem. No, no. And a lot of the bulbs you can leave in so you don't have to dig them up. Yeah. So at this time of year you've got these little things popping out of the soil and and it's not very long before they give you a lovely display. And you so. can share them with neighbours, you know, yes. further down the track once That's they right. start bulking up. That's right, they do multiply up. over time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's a great way to garden. Do you find there's a, a bit of nostalgia with people kind of thinking back to the gardens of their grandparents oh, and, yes. and wanting to replicate that themselves? Yes, yeah. Lots of them have fond memories of, as children of, you know, golden daffodils or... Snowdrops. Yes, that's right. Noreens. Snow, snowdrops were the first thing I planted as a child. Yeah. My mum was digging up her garden and, and sort of spreading some bulbs out and she had extras left over and I asked if I could have them and I planted them in our house yard around the farm um, at each post and they still come up today. So well, it's, one, it's one of our favourite, well, ever since I was a child because my mother grew them and her mother grew them, yeah. we've always had them in our home yeah. and, and we just adore them, you know. Yes. Another one that um, had a lot of success with uh, that I bought from yourself um, and um, one of the garden shows somewhere uh, was the uh, lovely little crocus, the, the um, saffron bulbs. Yes, yeah, and, and that's your true saffron that you cook with. Yeah, and, and they, they have do such really a beautiful well. flower. Yes, the flower on them sort of this gorgeous purple, and then that beautiful little golden stamen in the middle there is what we pick for as the saffron. But it's quite practical for people in WA to grow their own saffron. Yes, yeah, you can grow them in pots all the ground. Yeah, um, and you just need to mark where you plant them if you're planting them in the garden because their foliage is quite fine and can be mistaken for gilfer grass. So you don't want to pull them up. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned it doesn't take much to to grow them in terms of the the maintenance, but do you have to do much preparation? before you plant? They like a pH above 6 and you just use a general purpose garden fertiliser. So like an NPK with a bit. Oh, there you go. So that's someone just calling you now just to, to ask about their bulbs. <laughs> it's running hot. The demand is already in, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> You know, the, the, um, the penalty for a phone in the studio is generally um, several bottles of wine or a carton of <laughs> beer, so we can sort that out later. No, that's okay. You're just talking about preparing them before they, before they plant. Yes, yeah, yeah. so um, like an NPK fertiliser, a bit of blood and bone, just dig that through, level your bed off, place your bulbs where you want them, and then plant them according to the depth. A general rule of thumb is about two to two and a half times the height of the bulb is the depth you plant them at. Um, and you can do that with a bulb planter, which takes out a plug of dirt and you just drop the bulb in the hole, or you can make a hole yourself. Um, you can do them in pots as well. Um, and in pots, you plant them just under the surface of the, the potting mix. And just a good quality potting mix is all you need. Um, add your own fertiliser and you get this amazing colour. In pots, you can bring them inside and enjoy the flowers, um, um, you know, in, in the... Um, you can get things in flower from July onwards. Right. So, um, yeah, you have ongoing colour. And you can also stagger plants um, like tulips. Um, you can plant the same variety on a regular basis, say two weeks apart, and have that same variety flowering um, over time. How do you, say if we get tulips and they've had a chill factor which has allowed them to sort of come into flower? Yep. If we want to bring them back into flower the following year, 
What's what's the best thing for the home gardener to do there? The chill factor is just giving them a longer stem length. It doesn't actually alter the flower. The flower is there always. Okay. But our winters are quite short here um, compared to what they're used to. Um, so if you want long stems on your tulips, that's where you need to put them in the crisper of your fridge for six to eight weeks. And um, that makes them germinate quicker when you get them out because of the temperature change. And it will also um, make them grow taller. So even if we do nothing at all, they will flower the following year? Yeah, they'll flower the next year. But they generally will flower on stems probably about 10 centimetres high and then push up as they're flowering. But if you chill them, you'll get the stem length, you know, depending on what variety because there's so many different options with them. You can get ones that are 25 centimetres high through to um, 80 or 90 centimetres high. So you can plant them according to the position you want them in. Gorgeous. Okay. Um, One of the other things, you know, a real favourite bulb of mine are the freesias. Yes. Absolutely gorgeous. Now, I might be completely off the track here, but I, we grew up in Darlington and we'd often um, pick bunches of freesias and, you know, they'd be in the home and beautiful fragrant scent. Yes. Quite wild. Yes. And can get out of control a bit. But, That's true. You know, but at the same time, pretty and attractive and all that. But these days when we pick them up there, we, we don't seem, they don't seem to have the same scent. Um, there are before. different varieties with freesias yeah. and the f- perfume does vary according to the colour. Okay. Um, so you can get your old-fashioned short stem varieties, which are the more fragrant. Um, so your refractor or your garden massing, um, they're the ones you see quite common in in um, bush areas. Um, and then you can get the single and the double freesias, which have your long stems, which are great for cut flowers. Um, they all do have some fragrance, but some are more fragrant than others. Yeah. Um, usually the paler tone ones are the ones that are more fragrant, like the whites. Um, but yes. So probably the less fragrant ones have taken over, you know, and, and got more out of control and the yes. the fragrant yes, ones have sort right. of dropped off a bit. the ones. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Oh. So what are some of your absolute favourites as far as what you grow down there? You... Oh, that's, that's a really hard question. <laughs> They're not listening. <laughs> we have uh, over 350 different varieties of bulbs. Amazing. Um, and uh, they flower throughout the year, different ones, yeah. you know, from autumn, spring, summer. Um, and each have their really beautiful um, attributes. So... Um, like in the tulip family, you've you've got such an array of styles, so it's really hard. Um, there's new releases coming out too, and we try and get those as well. And you get some just amazing fringes and yeah. doubles and all yeah. sorts of things. Yeah, and you get ones that have multiple flowers per stem. Yeah, um, and even with the daffodils, you know, daffodils are no longer just yellow. You get amazing pinks and whites, and, wow. and big double blooms that have multiple layers with uh, like a, a deeper colour behind, like a white with a uh, a brilliant orange behind, which is like glowing from the back. Um, it's beautiful. Just amazing, yeah. My favourite for pots has to be the good old hippiastrum. Oh, yes. What's yeah. that look like? Oh, it's got these beautiful tubular flowers on, but they're so reliably hardy. Yes. And they're one of these plants that seem to not need repotting. They'll fill a no, pot. No, they, they love being crowded. They'll be there for 20, 30 years yes. in a pot and reliably every spring come up with these spectacular flowers. Yes. Gorgeous. Yes. Easy. So bulb, growing bulbs is easy. Yes, right? it is. <laughs> the secret's out. We can all do it. Hey, um, thanks so much for coming in, Lynn. Oh, it's a pleasure. Appreciate it. And uh, 
Maybe if you've got a few bulbs at your place, you might see a few photos come through on the text. What do you reckon, Steve? Yeah, uh, and, yeah. Uh, and if you see tulips around the town, I think we know where they've come from. They, <laughs> come, they will have come from Lynn's place. So. Yeah, really appreciate it, Lynn Chambers. Thank you. A pleasure. From Tulips uh, with a difference, WA. Let's get back to a few more calls, I reckon, Steve. Uh, Jen is in Frio and has been very patient. Good morning, Jen. Hello. Hi, hey, Jen. What's your question? My question is about a southeast-facing wall. It's three metres high, and uh, I want to plant vinyl over it. Uh-huh. I'd like it to be uh, something that can keep its leaves and yes. be a, like a green wall. I have had the experience with some vines that uh, just seek the sun, get to the top of the fence, and your fence is still visible, and the vines all all the way along the top of the fence. Mm don't want that to happen. It's, it's very hot. The wall gets quite hot in the, on summer mornings, but in winter it gets very, very little sun. So it's got a high contrast in the two seasons as well. Jen, a couple of re- t- there's two real tough ones here that will do that job for you. Um, if you wanted an, a native one with a really quite a lovely flower, there's the pandaria, the pandaria jasminoides, mm-hmm. and um, that's, uh, that, that'll put on a great show tolerate the heat and uh, be green all year round. And the other one is, it's called Trachylus burnum jasminoides, but it's actually, its common name is a star jasmine. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a very, very good performer as well. And once again, you'll give you that year-round evergreen foliage, little white flowers, little creamy white flowers that are intensely perfumed. Um, but, um, but, you know, hardy evergreen and, and uh, can tolerate the heat. And will it will it cover the wall absolutely sort of, uh, in the same way all all over? Yeah, will it be trailing bits and pieces? No, it'll it'll uh, form cover. yeah form a cover. You will need to put a frame up, you know, sort of so a little bit of light wire, mesh wire. Um, what what sort of frame would you recommend if you want it to go right up to three meters? Well, look, it's it would be simply as uh, as simple as anchoring wire in the ground. Mm. and then pulling it up tight and then uh, anchoring it at the top of the fence. So it's the vines are actually fairly light. It's not like they're really heavy and will pull something down. So mm. you wouldn't need you could you can use just a mesh wire rather than having to use um lattice or something like that. Mm. All right, Jen. Okay. Good That's luck. Great. Thank you very much. Good, Jen. Cheers, Jen. Uh Jane's in Bayswater. Hey, Jane. Hello, Alex. I can't get my phone off speakerphone, so That's it all right. might be... Persevere. <laughs> um, hi, Steve. Hi, um, Jane. I've, hi, I've got salvia, and I'd like to know if I can propagate it. Yes. Well, look, I tell you what, salvias are one of the uh, one of those plants that propagates really easy from tip cutting, but the secret is, Jane, to wait until end of September. Uh-huh. And when you take the tip cutting, so the, just that sort of top um, five centimetres, what you do need to do, if there's any sign of flowering, just pinch that the flower out yeah. and put the um, that, that top tip cutting into just a quality potting mix will be fine or a little bit of coir or cocoa peat. Keep mm-hmm. them in a shaded position for about two weeks, water them each day and put a number of cuttings in. So just use a small pot, about yeah. a five-inch pot, maybe put half a dozen cuttings into that pot. I'd be surprised if you didn't get a 100% success rate. Oh, that's fabulous. Mm, it's good good fun. And, Thank you very much. Yeah, beautiful plant to sort of 
to spread out in the garden and plant in drifts. So it's a great one to do All by right. cuttings. Get into it. Just a text here, and it's a big photo of an orange, and it says, what's eating my orange? I can't find any rats or any parrots, but there is a sizable chunk taken out of that one, Steve. Looks like rat damage to me. Yeah, just can't mm. spot them. They're too mm, fast. They just yeah, sneak in at night, do the damage and nick off. Had a real good bite of it as Haven't well. Haven't they what? Yeah, yeah, they've got yeah. involved. It might be rats. Okay, uh, a few other texts here as well. Um, could you recommend the best variety of fig or mulberry to grow? That's from Deb, who's uh, down in Margaret River. Mm. Well, a, a Hicks Fancy is, for, for me, the... The absolute best. Uh, best names today. Best mulberry, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, the Geno- black Genoa fig, you just can't go past. There's a home garden fig there. Uh, there's a number of white figs out there, white Adriatic, which is a beautiful, you know, like jam-like fig. But I personally find it's a little bit too vigorous in its growth. Okay. Whereas the black Genoa has got this lovely compact sort of shape, those beautiful, big, classic black figs and... Um, they're one of these trees that are fruit trees that are really worth having in the backyard. Figs are selling for like two to three bucks each. Yeah, you know, shape. no, and they're and they're best eaten sort of straight off the tree. That's when the flavour is just so gorgeous and lovely to use in cooking. So yeah, black genoa is a good way to go. Hey, earlier we were talking about the sunshine special. Yeah, uh, this texter here saying uh, I've got one, but my fruit doesn't set. Plenty of flowers. Uh, and have planted bees attracting plants, uh, have planted bee attracting plants, and that's the way to say it. Um, please help. Plant, um, bee attracting plants are about your best bet. Okay. You can do a bit of self-pollination with a little paintbrush and go from one flower to the next, try and, you know, taking off some pollen and dropping it on the stamens, you know, trying It's pretty labour-intensive, It's a it? little bit, but it's, it's worth it, you know, okay. for 15, 20 minutes out there. There you go. Uh, And just another one from Rick uh, who wants to know, can I dig fresh lawn clippings in as a a green manure? What happens is that um, the green lawn clippings tend to, as they're breaking down, they tend to rob a bit of nitrogen from the soil. Mm -hmm. So I'd be inclined to pile them up somewhere in the garden, just put them in a pile, add a bit of chicken manure if you can, or a bit of blood and bone is, is a really good way to go. And that'll just help break them down and add a bit more nutrition to them because the nitrogen in the manure helps the breaking down, the microbial process to break it down. And then you've got a really good quality product to use as a mulch. And, you know, well, it's not a mulch that will save water, but it's a mulch that will feed the soil. And um, it's a much better way rather than just using them green. Okay. Uh, let's get back to the phones. one three hundred triple two seven twenty. 222 720 Daryl uh, is uh, just near Albany. G'day, Daryl. How you doing? Good. Sound like you're on the road as well. Yes. Yeah. Sorry about that. No, that's okay. Yeah, what's happening? Oh, good. Yeah. What, what's the question, Daryl? Um, I'm interested in planting some ginger, and I'm just not sure about when to plant it um, and what to go with it. You know? So I'm hoping I'll be able to get a little bit of help. Yeah. I'm for... not that good at gardener, so but yeah. It's um it's a really interesting question, Daryl, because the ginger that they that is sold in the um, fruit and vegetable shops, that will grow perfectly at home. So to buy a piece, bring it home, put it into a pot, good potting mix, or straight into some good soil, it'll start to sprout within about three to four weeks, and it'll grow really well 
for about six months of the year. So because it's a, a typical tropical plant, they'll grow, you know, from October right through to around about April. But as soon as it gets cold or coolish, then they run backwards and they go off fairly quickly. So you need to pull them up and just grow them during that six-month period, pull them up and harvest them then rather than leaving them in the ground long term. Traditionally, they're all grown up in Queensland. All the commercial crops are grown grown uh, in that sort of uh, lovely sort of tropical environment. But we can grow them here, but just temporarily. Cheers, Daryl. So now's not the time, really? No, not now. Okay. No, yeah. Uh, let's go to Susie, one three hundred triple two seven twenty. She's in Williton. Hey, Susie. Hi, how are you going? Good. Um, just calling up with a quick question about magnolia leaves. I've got a very large magnolia tree in my backyard that drops a huge amount of leaves. They're very hard and waxy. Um, if I leave them on the garden bed, they're not, they don't break down. And if I put them in my composter, they're not breaking down. Right. So just wondering, I mean, I'd like to use them on the garden because there's so many, there's too many to get rid of. Yes. Should I mulch them and mix them with some kind of manure? Would they, would they start to break down then? They definitely will, Susie. Yeah, if, you know, some chicken manure or um, sheep manure or cow manure, something like that's a really good way to go. Also, I'd mix them, if you can get hold of some lawn clippings and mix them in with the lawn clippings yep. and the manure, then you'd be, uh, that would be a really good way to, to, to help break them down. Yes. Because the quality of them as a, as a um, compost or an addition to the soil will still be very good, even though they've got that bit of waxiness to the foliage. It's, a, it's still Great. a really substantial uh, bit, of, uh, bit of organic material there that's, to get back yeah, into the soil. That's great, because the ones I have in my twist around composter yeah. just do not break down. No. They've been there for probably 12 months. That's a f- <laughs> that's a Just fair call. Up, yeah. you, you really need them on the on the ground, on a pile in the ground, where those sort of the microbes that live in the soil can get up there and start start chewing them, chew, chewing into them. Yes, yeah, great. Okay, great. Thanks okay. very much. Pleasure. Cheers, Thank Susie. You, it is six minutes to ten. A few minutes left to take your call. So if you have a question for Steve, now is the time. One three hundred triple two seven twenty. Let's go through a few of these texts. Uh, Let's start here with uh, Mo, who says, Morning, guys. I need to get rid of some slaters. They eat all slash most of what I plant. Help in big capital letters. Can we help, Mo? They're so annoying, especially if you're putting in seedlings. That's when they're at their absolute worst because they sort of eat the the stems around the very, very young, um, you know, sort of two to three-week-old seedlings. The simple thing about slaters is that they love organic material so any compost around any leaves that's where they're hiding that's where they're breeding that's where they are so there's a couple things you can do if you're planting out young plants make sure that there's no sort of compost up against the stem pull it away but really the safest and easiest way to sort of thin them out a bit is to put beer traps in the garden so they use a little chinese takeaway container Mm -hmm. bury it into the soil at soil level, put some beer in, and it'll fill up with slaters. Really? Yes, and it's and it's the it's really the only way. And you can talk to you know all sorts of garden experts and you know vegetable growers, and it's the, it's the only sort of organic, simple way to treat them. All of a sudden, the slater has become my spirit animal. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of dedication. 
for a cheeky. Okay, well, there you go. The beer trap. How far down do you do you bury it? So you just level with just the ground. So yeah, just a, a shallow container. So that's... they can just get straight in there. That's it. They, that is amazing. They just love it. Oh, I love it when I learn stuff from you, Steve. <laughs> uh, a couple more calls as we get close to ten o'clock. Uh, Barbara's in Bustleton. Hello, Barbara. Oh, good morning. Hi, Barbara. Pardon? Hi. Good morning. <laughs> what can we help you with? What can Steve um, help you with? I've got my blue orchid coming up, and it's got eight lovely spikes on it. Wow. And I was horrified to find it's got black spots on it. What causes that? Ah. It's, it'll, be some, it'll be a bacterial spot that's... that's oh, really? Yeah. And it's... Um, you've got it in a good free-draining mix, obviously, Barbara, because yes, the fact yes. that it's flowering so well like that... Yes, beautiful. Yeah. Oh, how annoying. Look, I... What I do is I just use a little bit of um, copper spray on that. Oh, right. And, um, yeah, and just only just spray the affected area. Oh, right, yeah. And, um, you know, so is it is it over a fair amount of the foliage or just in a couple no, of small... No, it's not on the foliage. It's on the on the, oh, plants, on, 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 the, the on the... On the stems of flowers. On the, on the, no, on the spike. It's on the buds. Ah, yeah, okay. We'll still just uh, mix it. If it's on the bud, I'd mix it at half strength, half the recommended rate. Right. And uh, and then just put it into a little spray bottle, like a half a litre spray bottle, and just as a fine mist. All right. Put, put okay. It okay, good luck. Right, lovely. Thank you. Pleasure. Thanks, Barbara. Karen's in Belmont. Hey, Karen. Oh, hi, how are you? Good. Um, I'd like to ask Steve about transplanting a crepe myrtle, please. Oh, Okay. Karen, the good news is they transplant really easily. Oh, good. Yeah, but um, the best time is when they're in full dormancy. So mm-hmm. probably, you know, probably not too far off, yeah. maybe another six weeks or so. Okay, thank you. And, um, yeah, and they'll transplant, no problems. How big is that one? Oh, about a metre and a half. Easy, piece of cake. Yeah. Just... What sort of root ball do they have? Well, it, look, they're fairly forgiving. Um, it's They have a, quite a strong root system. But as long as you're retaining uh, on a plant about that size, a root ball of around 30 centimetres to 40 centimetres in diameter, that'll okay. be absolutely fine. Excellent. Thank you very much. Beautiful. That is good news. I think yes. we'll finish up with uh, Julie today in Australind. Hi, Julie. Hi, Steve. Hi, Julie. Um, just got a quick question. We, um, we got a landscaping package um, with our house. We live in when they put our plants in, they planted a lot of let go sternum. Okay, yep. Um, over the years, we've been here two years now, um, they've died off one by one. Yes. I've... We can't figure out what's going on. It dies off like one branch at a time and then it eventually takes the whole plant. Yeah. Julie, so these are the New Zealand tea trees and, you know, they, they can be susceptible to doing that. and It, it depends on you're in Australin there. The soil, is the soil a bit sandy where you are? Yeah, so it can be sort of a mixture of that sand and pH. That, that traditionally they prefer a, a, a you know a richer, more sort of clay-based sort of soil. If you want to, the best way to treat the ones that are still there is um, with this phosphorus acid, this phosphoric acid. It's a it's an anti-rot um, root rot uh, treatment. Safe, um, you know, easy to use. Put it into a watering can, drench around the root system. That's really the your best line of defence, and um, and and also just building up that soil a little bit with compost. 
Beautiful. Okay. Good luck, Julie. I just googled Aren't that. It's a beautiful, beautiful plant, isn't it? Oh, with the flowers. Absolutely stunning. So this is the, um, the you know the genus that the manuka honey comes from as well. Right. Mm, from the Leptospermums. Okay. Yeah. I've seen plenty of them around as well. They must yeah, be pretty popular. They're stunning. They're a stunning plant. It's just that they have got this tendency to to die off from time to time. They're quite go. annoying. Uh, and that's why you're here to help. Hey, Steve, thanks so much for coming in. Pleasure, Jamie. Pleasure to see you. Thanks a lot, mate. Steve Wood in for Sabrina this week. And that's it from me as well. Have a great weekend. It's 10 o'clock.